Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to Clash of the Titles, the podcast that sees two movies with something in common go head-to-head to see which one does it better. And welcome to part two of this week's Mysticism Melee. So, on Monday's episode, we went through John Carpenter's action-adventure comedy kung fu ghost story monster movie that is Big Trouble in Little China. And now, we meet the challenger. It's the film John Carpenter turned down to direct that movie as the tagline proclaimed Eddie Murphy is the chosen one as the song over the opening montage informs us he's the best man in the world but is his film the best of the two will it be chosen as the champion this week from 1986 we're talking about the golden child at the end of this episode, we will have a winner, but which film will it be? Let's find out. It's Clash of the Titles. Release the Kraken. Hello, Clash Potters, and hello, my dear sweet brother Numsy. <laughs> I'm Alex Zane. I'm Vicky Crompton. I'm Chris Tilly. So don't forget, you can follow us on Twitter. Getting out there at the start, we are at ClashPod. All sorts of extras about each movie we cover are on our Twitter account, largely run by Chris Tilly, a.k.a. Chris Thrilly, and it really is, as far as Twitter goes, a thrill ride on there. So get on board. Now, as I said, it's part two of this week's Mysticism Melee. These were my choices. Quick reminder of the connection. Every man... And their Eastern Encounters. Subtitle, that's not a man, that's a demon. <laughs> because David Lopan and Sardo Numpspot are actually demons. Also, John Carpenter famously turned down the golden child to direct Big Trouble in Little China. That's enough connections right now. So, on Monday, you'll have heard Christopher takes on a journey through Big Trouble in Little China. It's now the turn of Victoria to tell us of her golden child. Victoria, take us on a journey. Frank Welker stars as the voice of a demon who wants to kill a golden child, a child who will save humanity through compassion and cuteness. But getting in Frank Welker's way is Eddie Murphy. As the world's most blase social worker or possibly private detective, I'm still not sure, (laughs) set on a quest by Key, the daughter of a monk, to find the child. Taking in dragon rape ladies, actually, the mountains of Tibet and ancient daggers. She is aloof and immune to Eddie Murphy's many charms. She won't even go upstairs with him for a drink the first time they've met the cold fish. 
but then she saves his life during a fight and her shirt gets all wet and the spark between them jumps into life. After ripping off Indiana Jones, winning a knife using a glass of water, defeating the demon and rescuing the child, Key is resurrected from the dead and her and Eddie Murphy stick a baseball cap on a sacred prophet and this all-American family walk off into the sunset. I think you've you've largely made all the points I was going to make. It's <laughs> <laughs> a very good intro. Nobody be alarmed. I'm Matt Chandler, Jarrell, American stolen artifact founders of America. He's irresponsible. A bed? Is that a bed? He's a careless, thoughtless, undisciplined fool. I should be punished. I should be purged. I should be flogged. You are the chosen one. You will find a child. I'm still afraid of the dark, too. I really don't like your attitude. You know, this is a nice jacket. It's a Morris Day feel, and it looks good on you. And the boots, smoking. He's got a firm grip on reality. Where he's going, he'll need it. How'd you do that? What was that with the flip? You must carry this glass of water without spilling a drop. Who are you, Monty Hall now? Then the pizza cake! Eddie Murphy is the chosen one. Well, how many people have survived this test? None. None. The golden child. None. So I've got a really, um, I'm very connected to this film. So Mm. I'll ask you first, how many times have you seen it or where you saw it? Um, And then I'll tell you my truth. You were you, you were very excited last week I when know. this was announced. <laughs> I've never seen you beside yourself. The Golden Child. <laughs> I know it's been such a journey because I now know I'm the only person that feels like that. <laughs> I mean, for me, it was it was a film that was rented a lot on video when we were kids, so it was watched a lot. Yeah, uh, that's as far as it goes. It was all, I quite enjoyed it as a kid. Yeah, I mean, I didn't react uh, obviously as much as you uh, because I, I knew I was picking it and it was news to you. But I was very impressed with your reaction because as a kid, I remember watching this and I remember absolutely loving it. I remember hmm. the bit where Charles Dance becomes the big demon thing at the end was a proper what the fuck moment, like a like a, an M. Night Shyamalan like twist. I was like, he's a demon? I was like, what? So that really impressed me. But watching it again now, I do remember as a kid thinking it was a lot more epic than what I watched at the weekend uh, and a lot more coherent and... I remember thinking it was a really impressive action adventure, which I oh, I don't think you could categorise <laughs> it as now. I, I found it very disturbing. That's something that I definitely felt as a kid watching this. I was probably watched this a couple of years younger than when I saw Big Trouble. I was probably about nine or ten when I watched this. It's and disturbing, I, like scary or... Yeah. Okay. Um, scary and also, yeah, disturbing in in what what was going on with yes, two bl- words: blood porridge. Blood porridge. Blood porridge. <laughs> I mean, it re- it genuinely messed me up as a kid, and I kind of dreaded that scene coming. Oh, I, I watched that. it a lot, I and it was like, bit. it's weird, isn't it? It's what? Great. I just I think it's because the blood is hidden within the porridge, oh, yeah. so I think it makes you think I could have had a mouthful of that. Mm. I love a bit of porridge, and then oh wait, blood in my mouth. Yeah. Yeah. Also, but you, it's a little girl. It's a it's a young girl. A dead young girl. Mm. It's it's really upsetting for a ten year old watching Eddie Murphy movie mm. to be confronted with that. Well, I think we're going to get onto it, but this this is the problem. The problem is that it's an Eddie Murphy that is a bastardized sort of version of a really quite hard boiled Raymond mm. Chandler like esque yeah. like detective story that they sort of went. 
Oh, Eddie, Eddie Murphy will make child death funny. Don't worry. <laughs> but it's also, it's an Eddie Murphy, not in an R-rated, 18-rated comedy. It's PG oh. Eddie Murphy. So it's all these things that are a little bit... Which is amazing that you, you can have chunky asses and butt pie <laughs> as an opening gag in a PG-rated movie. Because yeah. uh, that is a, that's a, a cover of that poor magazine that gentleman is reading at the newsstand is pretty graphic. But that's also a mystery to me as well. So I've seen this film easily 20 times. So my granddad, I loved my granddad, and he was a very, like, you know, he was an early adopter of everything. So he had, like, you know, a Commodore 128 and then a Commodore 64, and he had, like, the, one of the first printers. And there's always a person in your family like that. And if he'd have been alive now, he would have, would have been bedazzled by everything. But he had Home Alone on VHS, and he owned that. So that, that was big news. And he had The Golden Child. And so me and my sister would just sat upstairs in the computer room watching The Golden Child endlessly. And I can't believe we were allowed to be alone and watch it, watching it now, because so there's a there's a mention of rape super early, the blood porridge itself, which I loved, and I can only think that it was given to me to watch because I loved Ghostbusters so much. And there are similar. Yeah. If you were my granddad, you'd be like, well, she likes ghosts and she likes people being funny, and he probably didn't watch it to understand that it's not funny. And then I was allowed to watch it multiple times. I also, I'm a, I'm a man who over the years has amassed a ridiculously large DVD collection. And I sometimes think I don't need all these movies. And what I love is the clarity at which your granddad approached owning VHSs. <laughs> I've got Home Alone and I've yeah. got The Golden Child. And you know what? I'm done. That is my collection Honestly, right there. That's what he, he never got anything else. In the halls of residence I lived in in my first year at uni, we had a guy called Phil the Third Year. And he only had, he was the only person with a video in the building and he was the so he and he only had two videos and it was Die Hard and Lee Evans Live <laughs> and every night we'd come home he didn't really go out much every night we'd come home he'd be drinking beer in his room watching Die Hard and Lee Evans Live <laughs> again yeah so imagine my surprise I thought everybody loved this film I thought it was hilarious I thought it was exciting and I doing some research it, no, people just don't feel like that um, but obviously we'll we'll get there. It's an interesting one, isn't it? I, I saw that as well. It's like this. I, I, I didn't. I, I read a lot of people talking about what a forgotten movie it was. It was they listed it as one of these blockbusters that made a shit ton of money at the box office when it was released, and then has somehow been forgotten. But I, I've never forgotten it. No, me neither. Yeah. I, I guess if you were of that generation, it was a big film. But I guess proceed, uh, the generations that come since have not made this, uh, rediscovered this. Yeah. No. So. Um, it went on a bit of a journey in terms of the story and the humour and the star. Um, it was a spec sp uh, screenplay by a man called Dennis Feldman, hmm. but it was intended for Mel Gibson um, with George Miller uh, to direct. But Eddie Murphy took it um, and the story goes, and I don't know if this is true, but he reached out to George Miller to be like, it's me now, but do you still want to do it? But made him wait for hours and hours and hours. So George Miller was like, fuck you, dude. Um, I'm not going to do that. Um, and then John Carpenter was offered it and said no. Um, and then you get Michael Ritchie instead. But the writer didn't feel ultimately that Michael Ritchie did a brilliant job. And it had changed so much, apparently, at the last minute to put more of a, a shot of like Eddie Murphy style humour in there. So it moves from this Raymond Chandler style film with supernatural stuff going on. I think it was called The Rolls of Tibet. I mean, that doesn't matter, but um, it wasn't what he wanted. It's a, so, it's just so you know. I am. Um, I I did read the original script because really? you can get it online. Yeah, the, and it's the non Eddie Murphy version yeah. of this mm. script, and it's it's 
It's fascinating. Mm. Uh, it actually um, opens. So Dennis Feldman, I, I, I did that little bit of research. He wrote uh, Species, mm. Species 2, and uh, a movie that I am absolutely going to do on Clash Pod in the future because I think it's brilliant, even though it's fucking awful, which is the Jamie Lee Curtis, Donald Sutherland uh, horror sci-fi virus, which uh, if anyone's seen it will know what a great film that is for us to talk about. <laughs> but nevertheless, the script actually, he, at the start of his script, it has a quote from Raymond Chandler, and then it goes on. And the best way of me describing this to you is, you know, the scene at the newsstand where he does the chunky asses butt pie. It's a, <laughs> he likes saying that, doesn't he? It's about the fifth time he's done it. Because it's such a, to me, watching it as an adult, this is not great Murphy improvisation because no. it doesn't even make much sense. No, and he doesn't seem sold on it. He goes, butt pie, that's a sequel to uh, the bestseller, butt cake, where it's just a, a lot of butt with cake on it. And you're like, what? Huh? Mm. Okay. What? <laughs> so <Family> film. <laughs> so the hangover. There's an actual hangover. So in the original script, um, is that the script there? Yeah, yeah. Can I have a look in a minute? Yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> don't don't just sit there reading. Dead <laughs> <laughs> air. Okay, okay. It sounds like Chris doesn't want you to have it till after the show. <laughs> uh, you, you can have it if you're good. Um, there's a, a hangover. So in the original script. Uh, Chandler uh, goes into a magazine shop and he holds up the Cheryl Mosley one sheet that he's the posters he's putting up to the guy and goes, "Mind if I put this up?" And the, this guy goes, "Suit yourself." And he looks behind the door and goes, "What happened to the ones I put here last week?" And the guy goes, "Who the hell knows? I told you last time we've got no underage stuff here." And anyway, he puts it on the door, goes out, and then the guy gets up and rips it down. And then uh, the character Chandler smashes the door into him, walks in, and the guy's like groaning and he smashes the door into him again. And then he sees three people run out, another child who he's been looking for, and a chase ensues. And that is the original script that involved any reference to pornography or a magazine store. And it's just completely different to what we get in the Eddie Murphy version, to the point where if I was Dennis Feldman, and if you read the script, it's great. It, like, you can see why John Carpenter read this script and went, this is a very fine script, because he didn't see how much it was going to be torn apart to create this star vehicle for Murphy. Yeah, and I have a quote from Dennis Feldman saying, I think that wasn't what Eddie should have done, and it's not what the director should have done, and he didn't even do it that well either. It was a nightmare. Mm. So he obviously didn't love it. Um, and I think it's fairly well known that the score was changed at the last minute. Um, so originally you had a John Barry score, which would have been um, apparently very, you know, very dignified, very grand. Um, and it was switched at the last minute um, for a much more, let's say, contemporary, poppy score which is quite distracting but very of its time and I think me watching it as a child that just made perfect sense that it would be that score because it's daft um, but yeah. it's because the bit where they're into bed at the, tar- the start and the synth start I'm like brilliant <laughs> yeah me too welcome to Tibet <laughs> welcome to Tibet in brackets present day <laughs> nothing says Tibet like electro <laughs> So, yeah, that's all I've got on the background, unless there's anything major. I, I read um, a book, uh, which I talked about the other day, actually, on the Caddyshack episode, Wild and Crazy Guys by Nick Desemlian, which is really good about all the SNL um, performers and their film careers. And he said that until this script caught his eye, Murphy was going to play an alien-obsessed professor of astrophysics at Berkeley in Star Trek IV, The Voyage Home. That's right, yeah. <laughs> I can't see that working. That's even less... That makes less sense than this. Uh, and he also claims that um, once he'd... He said that Murphy thought that Miller was weird. 
he didn't want to work with George Miller. Okay. Uh, but he wanted Spielberg or Clint Eastwood, and Scorsese was briefly attached as well. Well, there was that thing, wasn't there? I think by this point, after Beverly Hills Cop, Eddie Murphy was too famous to play, play the, the black guy in other yeah. movies. And so it had to be star vehicles for him, which is why I'm sure if the Voyage Home thing was true, but it's also the Ghostbusters story mm-hmm. as well, all of that, you know, he was, you know, a big star, one of the biggest stars, if not the biggest comic on the planet at this point. Yeah, he was a, he was Paramount's cash cow, basically. And he, he wouldn't make a decision on what he wanted to do next. He was just happy to have a good time. And so that's why they bought this for 330 grand, this script, because it was the only one he actually showed an interest in. But that's all I got. I will say one other thing, just because you brought it up already. And this is the last time I'm going to reference the script, because we can talk about it afterwards. We can talk about it afterwards when Chris isn't going to get angry. Um <laughs> So, you know, you were like, I'm not sure what uh, Eddie Murphy's job Mm -hmm. in this. Mm. Uh, In the original script, uh, the bit where he visits the house with the blood porridge (laughs) and uh, meets the detective, uh, which, again, I can see why you're confused because it doesn't explain what the fuck he's doing there. It's like, well, how are you just... Wandering uh, around a crime scene. And the police are like, come on into this crime scene. (laughs) Hey, look, there's some blood porridge. What do you make of that? Uh, The police detective actually says to him, uh, so you only take kid cases, huh? which is actually still in the movie. Yeah. And he goes, yeah. And then the detective goes, why don't you go back to the Department of Social Welfare and take home a regular pay- paycheck? And Chandler goes, I like being self-employed. Oh. And then the detective goes, is that what you call it? And he goes, yeah. And that's how, so we get, we actually understand what his job is, as yeah. opposed to wondering who mm. this man is, putting up posters of well, children. The closest we get to it is they say he's a finder of lost children. Yeah, but that just sounds like a child catcher. It, like, yeah. yeah. And it's not helped by him doing this. It doesn't he do that creepy thing? And he's like, I just really like working with kids. And it's like, doesn't. Mm. Okay. What um, is uh, what's your very favourite thing that you've ever seen Eddie Murphy in? Just just out of interest, but while we go here, um, I saw. Was it called My Name Is Dolomite or Dolomite Is My oh, Name? Yeah, good, recently, yeah. I thought that was brilliant. Mm. Um, yeah, it's really good. Training places. Okay. Mine is uh, the uh, opening uh, oh sketch <laughs> of Saturday Night Live Series 7, Episode 7. Uh, he does a skit with them. Tim Curry. That's uh, the second obligatory Tim Curry reference of the week. There's two there. Take your pick. That's one an episode. So we're back on track with those. I know Chris is a fan. No, Chris is a fan of those moments. So it's not because they don't really interrupt the flow of the conversation. They just sort of, they naturally just fit in. It's not a conversational sort of blind, dead alley no. kind of thing. No, no, no. We all find it really difficult mm. to get back on what we're supposed to be doing. Yeah. No, I like it. I don't know what I'm bitching about. I, I do like it. Yeah, well, just, well, don't bitch about it because, you know, there'll be a conversation afterwards. <laughs> oh, you want to read the script, Victoria? Well, <clears throat> I'll trade you, you can't for now. <laughs> no, your Tim Curry reference. <laughs> You'll get a sternly worded message on WhatsApp. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the film. Let's just do a tiny bit of setup, uh, just in case someone hasn't seen this amazing, amazing film. We have a golden child in Tibet. Um, who is kidnapped and quite accepting of his kidnap, um, even though, silly trivia, that's a girl, not a boy, playing the golden child. But let's just get that cleared off. Um, and then, thank God for now, Charles Dance. Now works for the Hollywood Reporter. Oh, really? Mm, oh, that's yeah. interesting. Yeah. See, the, the end, we just did a bit of like a trivia yeah. back and forth. In events. <laughs> 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 it's actually true. It's actually it's true. Yeah, it's it's true. true. Yeah. Eddie Murphy and her met uh, for the in first Toronto last year at Toronto Film Festival. <laughs> <laughs> when I was there, the, when I was there, the first time in What's going thirty on? for the first time in thirty-three years they met last year. Oh, There's really? a lovely picture of them together, which I'll post on the Twitter. I, I will post on the Twitter. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> in events. <laughs> 
<laughs> was much cooler than that. <laughs> <laughs> it's like you gave me such a weird look while you were doing it. Just stare through me in events. <laughs> so this child will save humanity if he will use he dies, uh, compassion dies, whatever that means. So, but the important thing is we get to meet uh, Charles Dance as, um, what's his name again? Sardo Numspa. Can you forget that? I don't know. <laughs> Sardo Numspa um, being super evil and that's good. But that is all to take us to Eddie Murphy, who, as you've mentioned, he's the best fucking man in the world. <laughs> he's is... the best man in the world. world. And he finds missing children. Um he doesn't seem, well, I'm being rude. Is he that good at it? He does find the missing child, Cheryl Mosley, but she's dead. So he's fucked up somewhere along well, the line. You have to read the contract. Did I say I'd find her alive? <laughs> That's true. I just said I'd find it. I still expect paying for whatever job it is I do. Yeah. And we also meet Ki Nang, who is um, a Tibetan monk's daughter by way of Kensington and Chelsea. Yeah. English Rose Ki Nang. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She's in LA for some reason. And that's fine. So she's going to recruit Eddie Murphy to the quest of find the golden child. And she goes, the first scene, which is, I mean, is a little bit disappointing. So he's on the basketball court shouting at some kids, a little bit of funniness there. Like, I love kids. Hey, kids, I hate you or whatever. And we're waiting for some fears and some like Eddie Murphy magic. And there's a very done to death joke about the scroll that she's got being like a big reefer. Mm-hmm. And it just doesn't ever elevate itself from that position. So this is one of those moments you were talking about at the start, which uh, was probably added later. Because by all accounts, the first version of this they shot with Eddie Murphy wasn't a huge deviation from the Mel Gibson version. It was going to be a very different kind of Eddie Murphy we saw on screen. And then they got cold feet, Paramount, and went, no, Eddie Murphy it. And so we get sort of half-assed improv like that. I mean, look... I love Eddie Murphy. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's 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 interesting to see someone do that with that the script and sort of add something different. Uh, but it just doesn't help this movie particularly. It because feels like funny. it feels like they printed his first try of each scene. Yeah, for mm. sure. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And rather than let's develop this, yeah. but his ego was wild at this time, and so maybe that's what was happening on set. He was just dictating. Yep. Yeah. I nailed it there. On to the next one. He seems to I want to go party later. But as you've mm. done already, Alex, all he does is say ass constantly. I'm going to beat your ass. I'm going to your ass. Whatever. Like that's his like added little button to a joke. I, I agree though because I did write down making my notes watching it. This is not funny as funny as I remember. But as it went on, yeah, forty minutes later, I was laughing and yeah. I, I deleted it. Because it's like, oh, it is funny. It just t- it takes a while. A bit like Big Trouble Little Child, maybe it takes a while to get hit its stride. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. And uh, I think, unfortunately, as well, I think some of the funny parts are when he gets to at least dip into his uh, bottomless pit of rude words and and do... Ass joke. Well, I like the bit where he's, like, trying to go through customs in um, uh, Tibet and he pretends he's from the American Stolen Artifacts Federation. He goes, Freddy, that piece of shit back there. And I'm like, anyone using the term piece of shit gets a pass from me. (laughs) Really? Yeah, I love it. My dog's a piece of shit. <laughs> Poor Simon. Oh, Simon. Um, so, little plot point: blood porridge. Um, bl- blood porridge is important because it connects the missing Kate, the missing girl Cheryl, now dead, to the golden child, which is supposed to help Eddie Murphy become more recruited to this quest. Um, we end up with a biker gang again. Seen this film twenty million times. Can't remember how we end up with a biker gang, um, but it's it's meant to be the opportunity for a little bit of fizz between. 
Key and Eddie Murphy. He's like, stay in the car, woman, whatever. And she's like, okay, definitely. Or doesn't even speak. And then she doesn't stay in the car. And it turns out she's a fucking badass. And she saves him. It's very empowering, that that moment. (laughs) Very empowering. Sure, yeah. Very empowering. Do you mean the bit where her shirt gets wet? (laughs) Her shirt gets very wet. Very, very wet. She ain't wearing a bra. She's not, is she? See-through white top. Uh, And she's not a flat-chested lady. No. So It's just so astonishing because it starts off by going, she's going to save his ass because she knows kung fu and here we go oh my god it's wet it's ridiculous it's a a lot of wetness it's so ridiculous and she just has to do that it's just like oh okay yeah it's a bit depressing it is a little bit depressing and then there's later she saves him again in the restaurant and she does so they end up in a restaurant again i can't fucking remember why now to find someone um, and she does this cool flip across the room to like put to get him out of the way of danger. Mm. But all that happens is she flip, 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 flips, and then she does something. It's like you, the flip is supposed to be you're avoiding like a bullet or a dagger or whatever, but she should have just run. What would be good is if uh, that flip came in later in the film with different results. <laughs> Agreed. Yeah. One, Agreed. Of the, one of the times she's flipping, she's not wearing trousers. As well, that's true. Yeah. yeah. Again, it's like what are they doing? This it's only woman? parallel. Parallel. It's only beaten. I'm jumping ahead, but I'll mention it twice. By the moment where he won't fuck her, so she cries. <laughs> I just thought it was amazing. <laughs> He's like, "No, I'm going to sleep on the sofa." She's like, <laughs> "Oh dear." Did you do any uh, reading around? I'd never. I didn't really know Charlotte Lewis, so I started reading uh, around her. There's interesting stories about her relationship with Roman Polanski. That, oh really? Uh, yes, I think she. Uh, she accused him of um, something horrible uh, on uh, he did to her. But, yeah, um, they made pirates a year before this, right? And yeah, I mean, she was seventeen, and he was he was not. He, he was not very he, much not. He was Roman Blansky, classic <laughs> classic Roman. <laughs> don't think, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. It's a classic moment, Chris. <laughs> I don't. I honestly. I, I don't know why you brought it up. Uh, I, 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 I don't either. This film. But as I was trying to get out of it, I, I didn't expect you to do a classic Roman. <laughs> so, so I think. I, I think to to be fair, we're both at fault. <clears throat> right, let's move on. Let's move on. Let's talk about a Pepsi can <laughs> dancing to putting on the Ritz. Um, minor gripe: the Golden Child sort of enchants the can to dance to putting on the Ritz. There should be no show tunes in a monastery, but nonetheless, it's one of the best moments of the film so fine. Yeah, it reminds me of a film that I wasn't here for the conversation, but Young Sherlock, Young Sherlock Holmes, Holmes. Yep. where we had those just, it was just like remarkable special effects that were completely jaw-dropping at the time. And I think we've got used to seeing cool effects in movies now. They all meld into one, but that was so, it was so unusual getting this stuff in these weird fantasy family films. I think that, and I, I think that dancing Pepsi can has more of a charm than half the special effects we see these yeah. days as well, yeah. the, way it, the way it folds itself into a human form. After um, Young Frankenstein, it is my favourite putting on the Ritz version of the film. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then there's this sort of wedged-in plot device, which is now Charles Dance, because the child won't eat the blood porridge, which is understandable. Call it, I think you should call him by his character name. I can't... Sardor Numspa. Yes, <laughs> it's so nice to say. Yeah, it is, yeah, it is. Um... <laughs> So, By the way, sorry, does he? I don't think he looks like a Sardo Numps bar. It's, no. an, it's an interesting choice for it. Is it I th- assumed it was based in reality, real, real myth kind of thing. Is it not? Well, who knows? No, I don't we think We didn't it have is. that level of research, I suppose. Um, yeah, because it's so easy it's to make it sound. It's your movie, so. Yeah. <laughs> it's not that we didn't do that level of research. She's like a pale ginger white guy. He doesn't look like a Sardo Numps no, bar. He looks like, a, fair, he looks yeah. like a Lionel. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you know, but he's not really that man, is he? 
He's no, you know, he's a dragon. Yeah, oh, it's not a dragon. demon. Yeah, thing. Yeah, uh, but yeah, I'm plot, not saying it. Plot device. He's not a demon. <laughs> <laughs> it's growing on you. I can tell. It's growing on you. You can have one of the t-shirts. Um, yeah. So now we can only use the Ajanti dagger to kill the golden child and nothing else. Um, then we get one of the this I'd completely forgotten this bit, which is the sort of the very extended dream sequence, which is where Sardo Numspa is going to convince Eddie Murphy how like spooky serious this whole shit is by burning his arm really horrifically. And he sort of hardly feels it, but he's like, you're in a dream, but this will show you that this I can manipulate dreams or something. Does he burn his arm? I thought he cut his arm with oh, the dagger. Cuts. I think he drags the dagger down it, cutting a massive wound into his arm. Yeah. I think he draws the shape of the dagger in his arm with, with his nail. Burn. Yeah, with burn. burn. <laughs> with burn. No, with burning nail. With a burning dagger. With a burning <laughs> nail dagger. Yeah, I really... I find... I find that dream sequence kind of weird. Uh, because... The sitcom setting, the fact that it's a TV uh, yeah. <laughs> show with the audience and the applause, it's 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 very 80s. It's yeah. really weird, but it just... Uh, it reminds so, me of Natural Born Killers. So do I, I have a theory here that Eddie Murphy at this time was quite critical of his audience and the fact that he would... Steve Martin went through the same thing. Steve Martin stopped doing stand-up comedy because he would walk out on stage and he wouldn't do anything, people would laugh, and he could drop a pen and pick it up and people would laugh, and it stopped being stand-up for him because it was just... It was just built in. And and the fact that you've got this, this audience of very specifically old white people yeah. laughing at everything Eddie Murphy says, even when it isn't funny. I wondered if he added that as a comment on his frustration with where his career was, with that what his audience suddenly became, white people laughing at everything he said, and that's not where he came from. Hmm? That's interesting. I hadn't thought of that. But, yeah, it's a very strange moment anyway. Mm. Yeah. Um. But also, let's not forget, he gets to imagine Key tied to a sideboard with toilet roll. Is that mm. right? Wearing PVC. Yeah, no, it's toilet yeah. paper. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which is strange because, I mean, a t- toilet paper, you can't not tie someone up with toilet paper. You certainly can't. Uh, believe me. <laughs> not for want of trying. Mm. Uh, but just don't be cheap. You know, just buy some rope. Not a big deal. It's your dream. Do you know I mean, you can do anything you want. Why have you used toilet roll? Yeah. And it's weird, you know, because I imagine, you know, there's a lot of toilet roll being used at that uh, to to tie her up. And... Well, maybe it's to be cool and to be like, she could get free if she wanted to because oh. it's just loo roll. Right. So all she'd have to do is free herself. Mm-hmm. So she's not actually a sex slave. Do you know what I think? Point. I think what bothered me about it is the proximity of toilet roll to PVC underwear, which to me, people wear, it's rubber pants. It's because, <laughs> yeah. you know, if you're not... You're not very good with the the old toilet situation, you know. Um, <laughs> change the subject. Um, Alex, you can tell me if this is in the script because we, also just before the dream sequence, we had a scene where a rat turns into Sardo Numspar and mm. then Sardo Numspar turns back into the rat. And Dennis Feldman said he was heartbroken. I made I was made to edit out twenty pages of the script. There was a very sinister supernatural character with a rat's head and a human body who smoked. He went, as soon as Eddie was signed on to it, in the minds of the producers, it had to be a comedy. I thought it would have been a much better idea to have him play it straight as an action hero. Mm. But yeah, is that? do you remember that? A, 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 a I thought human... you were going to say, was that you? <laughs> <laughs> a um, human with a rat's body who smokes. That sounds pretty cool. It does sound really cool. Uh, weirdly, I do have written down around that point in the script, although it's I, I don't know, I can't confirm whether it's in the original script or not. I didn't see that bit. Uh, and it's not on the two pages I brought with me, which I will show to you <laughs> later. After. Uh, there's a funny bit of improv where Eddie Murphy says to her when um, the guy's dead 
Tommy Tong, I believe it is. Yeah, is yeah, dead. Tommy Tong's restaurant. Yeah, yeah. Tommy Tong's dead. Sardo Numpspar kills him. And then Eddie Murphy finds the body and says, maybe the guy knew I was coming, got scared and killed himself. <laughs> which oh, yeah. is a great bit of improv. Mm. Yeah. It's good. The only other thing about the dream sequence, which is this is very nitpicky. And again, I just could not have been paying attention. But Charles Dance keeps saying to Eddie Murphy, I'm not going to repeat my offer. You do what I ask you to do, which is, and then doesn't say it. I won't, I'm going to tell you one more. He's like, I'm making you an offer. I'm making you an offer. It doesn't actually say what it is. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Am I right? Yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah. And that, that's why I wrote down earlier, it's a bit shoddy. This yeah. Is, this has been put together quite shoddily because he never does say the offer. And you're like, what's offer? What yeah. are you talking about? What are you talking about? That's, and that just annoys me because you could, I mean, you could even fix that in an edit. Just stop saying, I won't tell you again or yeah. whatever. Um, and, but the offer is, get the knife and I'll swap you for the child. Something. Yeah, he wants the knife to kill the child, but he wants to exchange the child for the knife. That's the two yeah, it's things very, happening. Very confusing. It sounds, yeah. It's a very confusing deal. Um, let's um, talk more about this confusion the after in a the... small break. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Thank Getting you. Getting emotional there. <laughs> if you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Right, so 
let's go to Tibet because we might as well. So <laughs> we're off to Tibet, which is good because you have been waiting for Eddie Murphy to get to Tibet. Lots of jokes about being freezing. No, the same joke about being freezing <laughs> <laughs> for ages. Um, but it takes us to a scene I definitely remember from being little and I still thought it was very funny, even though it's just one line, which is the I want the knife scene where he wiggles, that he spins the prayer wheel and just says, I want the knife. Uh, 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 uh. <laughs> I want the knife. It's funny. It's really disrespectful, but it's really funny. It's great. Yep. And also we get that uh, nice scene with Victor Wong where he goes, monkey breath, eater of turtle spine, which is great. You're breaking my hat, asswipe. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. More ass jokes, but still very funny. Mm -hmm. Um, We've got our Indiana Jones ripoff. Uh, I suppose it's a bit unfair to label everything that's like a quest in a spooky looking mystical place an Indiana Jones ripoff, Mm -hmm. but it wouldn't feel as painful if it was good. But um, the the perspective trick, the only you know only the sort of the right sort of man can do this. What annoyed me is he has to go and get the knife. And he's got a glass of water, yes. Mm-hmm. And again, for the last time, I've seen this film a million times, and this scene didn't end the way that I remember it ending, which would be what do you think? So he's got the glass of water. He makes it across the plinths. Yeah, he's supposed to chuck it on the fire. Yeah, yeah, he well, doesn't. I, he drinks it. I know. It's- it's- and then he doesn't even drink it or spit it on the fire. Yeah. He just drinks he it. He just drinks it and then the fire goes out. <laughs> I, just, I mean, there's so much to unpack in that. So the fire is sentient and yeah. is aware that he's now drunk the water and then will go out. Yeah. If he was on the Comedy Central show Taskmaster, he would have failed that task. <laughs> I've never seen... Greg Davis I... would not have given him the points. I've been watching a lot of it the last week. It's very good. Yeah. Uh, and it's, I would say Taskmaster. So maybe a different show. Hmm. Um, yeah, that just annoyed me because why, why else is it in fire? And I swear to God it didn't end like that, but it does. So there we are. Um, and then a scene which I believe a lot of people find very funny, if you look at YouTube, um, which is the sneaking the knife through customs scene. It's funny. Yeah, it's okay. Oh, I liked it. I liked it. Yeah. But could you not just check it on as luggage? Do you know what? I think uh, no uh, is the short answer to that. But also I think Eddie Murphy's improv works best when he's got an audience, like in a movie. Like I I think like when he's got spectators Mm. and he's sort of almost like managing a crowd and it's quite dynamic because he's got all these extras who don't really know what he's going to do and he can play with them and interact with them. Like when he goes down the line shaking their hands and saying thank you to them. And both there and in the airport when he lands and Sardo Numpspar is waiting for him and he's got an audience and he can sort of play off a lot of things and then it feels like he's really sparking because he's got a lot of tools at his disposal. Equally, he's Axel Foley at that point, isn't he? Yeah. When yeah. he's busting Sardo Numspa's balls, he's Axel Foley. And it is very funny, but it's something you've seen before. It's a, literally a different character. Yeah. I mean, I was going to save this quote till later, but I, I'm i going to do it now because uh, it, uh, it sort of explains a, a lot about this film and everything that we're talking about. And it's from Charles Dance. He says, uh, initially, The Golden Child was a very interesting script with a lot of resonances, but Paramount basically chickened out. When they first screened it, it was a very sort of different sort of film for Eddie Murphy. Paramount took too much notice of the preview audience's unease about the unfamiliarity of Eddie's character. They had gotten to know him so well through Beverly Hills Cop that they wanted the character to be so much more like that. So the studio went back and reshot a lot of footage of Eddie doing Eddie Murphyisms and put them into the picture. Then they took out the really sumptuous, weird and beautiful score and placed it with something more funky. So basically, what you got was Beverly Hills Cop in Tibet. But not as good. Right. <laughs> That's uh, a pitch. I mean, yeah. that's it, isn't it? It is. 
And I think there's an issue as well with his character because I think Sano Numspa is really frightening in the same way that Lopan's frightening in Big Trouble in Little China. But Lopan surrounds himself with the three storms who are these intimidating, cool characters. Whereas with Sano Numspa, I call it the Otis issue, where in Superman, Lex Luthor's the greatest criminal mind of our time and his assistant is Otis, who's an idiot who keeps fucking up. Like, if you're the greatest criminal mind, why would you have that person doing your bidding? And this guy, Sardo Numsba's got these idiots doing his bidding who keep messing up with Goldie. It's a human resources issue, mm. basically. You can be an evil D-man, yeah. but you can be shit at recruitment, basically. That's and ag- all it is. Again, uh, I read the script. It's online. Read the original script. And those men are painted as fucking terrifying. Well, there you go. Mm, yeah. And it's the D'Souza quote again that I keep I keep saying where he says, as soon as your villain, the villain doesn't become ridiculous, but as soon as his henchmen are, the threat's gone. But it's got to be one way or the other. I think that's the problem. I think, I, I think Charles Dance is threatening in it, but I also think it's his face when Eddie Murphy is going, brother numsy, and then kisses Charles Dance on the cheek. His face is priceless. It's like, it's, it's gold. It's like this beautiful thing. And I think at that point, I guess it would be more funny to have a villain who at least, well, no, I'm going back on myself because you still need a villain who's threatening. So I've corrected myself. That's wrong. What I'm saying is wrong. <laughs> it's rare that you'll hear that. Enjoy it. Bask in that. Turn that into a clip for mm. Twitter. Mm. <laughs> uh, so we're sort of into the final, uh, the momentum of the final act, which is now there's another um, handy plot device, which is the golden child can only be killed at night for some reason. Yeah, the arbitrary <laughs> nonsense. <laughs> yeah. And appears to have the powers of the force from Star Wars as well. Yeah, but didn't prevent themselves from being kidnapped yes. in the first place. Well, so Charles Dan says it just puts her in a cage with no resistance, which would be fine, I think. Which, again, I'd, I thought I remembered this from childhood, but maybe, not maybe, definitely not. Because I thought it was like the fulfilment of some sort of prophecy. I know that Eddie Murphy is the chosen one, and so he has to fulfil his end of the scroll bargain. So that's why I thought the golden child went quietly into the cage because it's like this has to happen in order that something something happens. But it isn't like that. Like the golden child could have rescued himself herself earlier on and it would have been fine. There isn't anything else that happens as a result of this whole adventure. This whole bit is this whole climax is nonsense. There's the bit where Eddie Murphy and the golden child are in a car and aside from the hilarious line where he goes, did somebody give you a Valium or what? (laughs) Because the child isn't saying anything. But they're driving along and the demon is flying around after them and they crash the car and then they run out of the car because they've crashed it and they can't drive the car anymore because it's crashed into something. And they run out and they run into that tower and then they have a fight with the demon Mm -hmm. and then they run back out and get back in the car (laughs) that they crashed and drive off again. And it's like, you're not even trying to disguise the fact someone went, we need a uh, tower-based action sequence here with the demon. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I got confused. I thought they were trying, they were driven to the tower to trap the demon. But you're saying that they know they just crashed the car. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that doesn't make any sense. No. Um, we've forgotten, and we have to mention it because we foreshadowed that earlier little script trick for you there, um, that Key sacrifices herself for her love of Eddie Murphy. Mm. She does her flip, or she should have just run or whatever, and she gets a crossbow through the back, even though when she's laid out dead later, it doesn't appear to have penetrated her shirt in any way, so mm. she's got bloodless. But... 
the shirt is dry at this point. <laughs> it's bone dry, mm-hmm. thank God. And then she says, which really drives me mental, like in when they're first getting to know each other, now, well, then, but with especially with modern eyes, he is coming onto her too strong. He's like, come upstairs for a drink, bitch. <laughs> Not really. <laughs> she fucking won. Eddie, we are loving the improv. We're gonna just, we're gonna pull you back a little there, just a little. Pull you back a little. That's too much. Yeah, but don't stop being you. But um, so she won't come upstairs whore, for a drink. All good. Whore, no, no. What just, about prick teeth? <laughs> dirty, dirty sloot. Dirty sloot. No, eh, why don't you just uh, just say it's fine? Say it's fine. <laughs> just say it's fine. I won't ask again. Oh, no, that's the thing, wasn't it? Isn't there a line they where she's like... make a point. She says he asked twice and yeah. said no twice. Yeah. He says, they always say, always ask a woman twice yeah, or something. Yeah, yeah. And he's like, they definitely don't. And doesn't, then doesn't she lock the door and he smashes the window to try and get to her? <laughs> so she won't go upstairs with him. Um, and she, because she doesn't want to, and that's the end of that conversation. <laughs> but then she has to apologise for it, and it's not enough to apologise for that with her actual life. She has to say to him, ridiculously, "I didn't go upstairs with you because I loved you, having met you for thirty minutes." Well, no, because she 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 doesn't sleep with him that time. But then she sleeps with him a bit later in the oh, film. Oh yeah. yeah, because uh, to be- make him go to Tibet, classic. No, but then she says she didn't sleep with him. Yeah, she's lying. She's definitely for lying. Yeah, because he's because, like, I, I won't go to Tibet. She's like, all right, fine. Because then, what's let's... frustrating about that is is um, that Eddie Murphy is told by the old man that he has to remain pure and love someone who loves you. And so when they're on the trip, that means he's not allowed to sleep with her. Yes. And that's why um, th- this weird conversation's happening. But that would be so much better if he hadn't already slept with her. Mm. Yeah. He slept with her two nights ago. Well, so that's why like... she's crying. She's like, what the fuck is this double standard bullshit? Like, it was fine before, it's not fine now. Yeah. No way. We should also point out that uh, Victor Wong, it does play her, is it her dad or her granddad in her this? Her dad. Her dad, yeah. So, mm, Which is a nice little twist. Uh, was it? It's not a twist. It's it is. He's, he's set up as a as an as a simpleton at the start uh, when he first shows up on on screen. Yeah, who's pretending to have no legs, like Eddie Murphy does in Trading Places. They right. use the exact same joke, and then it turns out he's actually the key to this whole thing. The advice he knows everything, and he's maybe been behind it all. But he doesn't know his daughter's going to get killed by a crossbow. Because otherwise he'd say, just watch out I, when there's a crossbow. I think he does. I think it's all part of what's going to happen. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, no, that does make sense. Because yeah. then, then Eddie Murphy really has to save yeah. the golden child. Puts because... her on the part. Yeah, he has to trust someone he's just met. Well, maybe he read Dennis Feldman's original script. Yeah, oh, could be. <laughs> so he has to save the golden child, which is done fairly straightforwardly, apart from a car that crashes and then is fine. Um, and Key is led out in a... Now, it's explained that as long as sunlight touches her, the golden child can resurrect her. Yeah. Quick question. Mm. Would you put her in a basement? <laughs> <laughs> you wouldn't, would you? No. You put her outside. <laughs> in a garden. In a garden. <laughs> Greenhouse. With yeah. no trees, no nothing. Just to get full sunlight mm. for what is, I believe is called a day. <laughs> you buy a sun lamp. You can get one of those sun lamps <laughs> and just sort of see, well, you didn't specify no. actual sunlight. But that's not what happens. What he does is he puts her in a basement where it only gets the sun sort of, maybe the first part of the morning. So by the time the golden child gets to her, it's just on her beautiful foot. Um, But that's enough for the golden child to resurrect her. Everything's fine. 
that's kind of it. Um, put a cap on the kid. Mm. I wrote that. I wrote so America starts destroying this young kid's innocence yeah. by clothes and a high five. Um, as, as I understood it, though, the kid is going back to the bet. Yeah. To bet, he's yes. not. They're not. They've not set up as a new family unit. Eddie, Eddie Murphy asked him if he's got Star Search in Tibet. I believe that's his last joke in the film, which is not a banger. <laughs> going out on a high there, but that's it. Um, for the, yeah, but and having said all that, and having. I uh, maybe I've come across very negative. It's just that trick of childhood where it's impossible to hate something you loved so deeply, even though it's obviously flawed. I do remember the demon being better, the demon. Um, <laughs> I was less impressed this time. This is the first time I've sort of gone, God, that's shoddy. That's really quite but shoddy. But aren't you just judging it with modern eyes? I it was so. incredible then. It was incredible. They must, they must have spent so much of this budget on that at the time. Do you think so? I think, I think compared to films of the time, I think it's a little bit messy. It doesn't look as good as other special effects of a similar ilk. It feels a bit rushed, in my opinion. Mm. Not hearing any examples, it's very vague. I assume that's intentionally vague. Agree to disagree. Right, so, have you got any more? We've got uh, Grown Up Golden Child's full CV. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I do. I can tell you which hotel Eddie Murphy and her <laughs> met at uh, after 33 years. It was the St. Regis Hotel. So. Yeah, I was there. <laughs> um, that's, why I missed that, that's why I missed that show. What? The young show. I was in Toronto when you were talking recorded. to the Golden Child. Nah. Oh. <laughs> uh, I was watching Dolomite though. <laughs> All right. <laughs> um, so um, I was so you, well, reading around it. The ba- the reviews were bad at the time. They're really, some bad. of them were really racist. Like I didn't write some of them down. There was really horrible things written, and I found this quote from Murphy in 1987. So a year later. Um, uh, someone asked him how he felt about the bad reviews and the negative reception. He said, you had a black man that was not only a realistic sexual presence, but who saved the world from the devil. Not the day, but the world. I think it was a subconscious thing with a lot of white critics. I really feel on some level white critics had a hard time dealing with that. And I think I read that quote and I thought, really? And I started looking around. And thought, yeah, absolutely. They absolutely did. Really? It was so much about his race. People having a problem with his race, which wow. shouldn't play into any of it. But then, so he's saying that the film was good in mm. that quote. Two years later, different quote, Rolling Stone. My pictures make their money back. No matter how I feel. For instance, The Golden Child, which was a piece of shit. <laughs> that movie made more than $100 million. So who am I to say what sucks? It was a huge hit, though. I know. Huge hit. Yeah. Surprising we didn't get more. But maybe a good thing. We got more We got more Beverly Hills Cop instead, and that didn't exactly improve as it went along. Beverly Hills Cop 2 is better than Beverly Hills Cop. New. Yes, it is. New. I prefer Beverly Hills Cop 2. Okay. Beverly Hills Cop 3 can fuck off. But save, Beverly it Hills... for, save it for a clash of the titles in the film. All right, yeah, all right. <laughs> uh, would you like to do the bits? Uh, yeah, no. yeah, yeah, let's do the, let's, let's Shall do, we not? let's do the bits. Yep. Uh, Chris, what was your best scene? You're breaking my hat, asswipe. Um, I, <laughs> Doesn't when, he look good in a tracksuit as well? It's amazing. When that guy shows up and calls him monkey breath and puke face and scuzz bucket, and then we discover his legs do work and he's stolen the money. I found that the funniest scene in the film, to be honest, as a kid, and I still think it's the funniest bit. So yep. yeah, going for that. Best scene for me, um, and I'm surprised you didn't mention this once, and I'm assuming you're going to bring it up now because it's the scene that I remember the most uh, as a child from this movie, and that is the 300-year-old half-dragon librarian. And the, oh, yeah. <laughs> the fact that she is half a dragon. Yeah. And you see her silhouette early on, and 
then you do the big reveal at the end and she's all there being all stop motiony going, oh, I'm a dragon lady. <laughs> I just, I love that because I like the idea, which is also in Big Trouble in Little China, which is this idea of a subterranean world underneath like a modern city, just like one floor down, there's all these mythical creatures and monsters and magic going on. And I think that's just really, really cool. And so it's um, it's the uh, the woman who uh, who's... Well, mother was raped by a dragon. Yeah, and it, isn't it? It's the don't they do it the third time? So the rule of three, the, the, and you reveal on the third. Yes, and that's always good. Mm. What does he say to her? You're not normal. You can't stay down here smoking cigarettes and watching yeah. telly or something. Yeah. And that's quite funny. Yeah. <laughs> um, mine is the Pepsi can thing, mm. which because it's cute and I like it. I had trouble thinking of a favourite scene in this one. I'll be honest. Did yeah. you really? Yeah, I didn't really have. There, there wasn't a scene that really stood out. For well, me. he wanted to say. When um, she gets her shirt wet, but he knew that I would be cross about it. Mm. So no, I understand. Yeah, um, she looks great. Uh, MVW Alex <sighs> Charles Dance. Um, you needed more of him, more of him and Murphy on screen together because he is the perfect foil for Murphy's um, improv. That mm-hmm. bit at the airport where he does the brother numpsy stuff and kisses him. As I said before, Charles Dance's face is exactly the reaction you want from the villain. Plus, Eddie Murphy's improv works best when you cannot believe the balls on his character taking on someone who he knows is so evil, killed people, may or may not be a fucking demon, (laughs) and he's still just making fun of him. And he does the same. Yes, it's like Beverly Hills Cop, but it just really works with his improv. And that moment's great. And I just think Charles Dance is really good in it. And I cannot believe that they didn't use him more. And I remember there being more of him as a kid because he left such a, a, a large imprint in my mind. And the way you dress today. Um, yeah, thank you very much. Welcome. It's a very nice cravat I'm wearing <laughs> in this very hot room. <laughs> what about you? Yeah, PG Eddie Murphy isn't the best Eddie Murphy, so I'm going to say you're breaking my heart. I'll swipe and going for Victor Wong as the <laughs> old man. I think he, I think he's really great in this film. I think the golden child who now works in events for Hollywood Reporter for a character that doesn't she doesn't speak does she at all. Uh, not, no, I think as they're walking yes. off, doesn't she, he say, he, she say, um, can I have a burger? I love America. God bless America or something. <laughs> Are you making that up? Yeah, I'm making that up, yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, the, the kid says everything's going to be okay. Oh, oh, no, yeah. Or he says everything's going to be okay and the kid says, I know. Yeah. That's a good moment. But beatific, like mm. a, a very um, memorable on-screen presence for a, ch- a child, first and foremost, and also for a child that barely speaks. I uh, My only qualm with uh, the character, and it's it's how it's written, it's not the performance, is uh, the fact at the start uh, they have brought a tray of four dead parrots and he ums and ahs and like, which one shall I bring back to life? And then brings one back to life and it's like... So you killed, why didn't you just kill one parrot and give the child one parrot? Because you give it a selection and it's not going to bring three of them back to life. So just give it one dead parrot and it'll do its <laughs> trick. It's like, I didn't understand why you had to kill four parrots and then only one got to be resurrected. I thought... <laughs> I know we feel differently about killing animals, but... Um... I mean, that's and that's my problem. Mm. Um I thought you were like, well, that's one too many parrots brought back to life. I just, I just don't. If you, I didn't even register. But I thought it was because if it was just one dead parrot, and then it could be a fluke that it was like maybe asleep, or so we weren't meant to know the child could bring things back to life at that point. Yeah, right. and or if one if one child resurrects one parrot, someone in the back could be like, 
bullshit. That parrot was asleep. I want to see four dead parrots. You know, like getting heckled. In fact, I don't want you to do one of the parrots on the plate. I'll bring you a new dead parrot that I've yeah. killed. Yeah, it's like the beer bottle in Big Trouble. It's like, no, 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 not that bottle, yep. my bottle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, I get that. And if you could change one thing, Alex? Uh, I would have liked to have seen the original version of this. I haven't read the script and... And I, I honestly, I don't mean the, the Mel Gibson version. I'd be happy with the Eddie Murphy version, but I would have liked to have seen Eddie Murphy doing something very close to the original script, which I think they shot something along the lines of, and not this version where Paramount went, get back in, get back there and do your funnies and make this <laughs> funny now. Um, doing all that because uh, I just think it would have been interesting. I, I, I love... I love some aspects of this movie and I love Eddie Murphy's improv. I just think, uh, well, I'll get onto it in the verdict. What about you? Uh, I know they were playing on, I guess, the Dalai Lama a little bit, mm-hmm. but if you're casting Little Girl, let the golden child be a little girl. Thank you! God say it, like, he will do. What's he? the issue? And it's like, why? What is the issue You haven't there? even managed to find a boy that's cute enough. To... She's a girl, so what's the big deal? And because actually... they... I'm sorry, they have to save the world. <laughs> Oh right, yeah, no, I did, I forgot. And I actually, um, it's not all about being cute. No, <laughs> no, no, I only, I only say because I wrote that down and then I crossed it out when I was like, a lot of responsibility. Well, <laughs> under, under this, I, I, read, I did, I did write down um, that little girl actually worked for the Hollywood Reporter now in events, <laughs> and she was in Toronto last year and she actually met with Eddie Murphy, and the photos are very sweet, and I'll post one of them on Twitter. So oh, great, I didn't realise that. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yes. Have I asked you for your change? I can't remember now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I don't know. Yeah. What's the original version? I want the original version, oh, yeah. yeah. So I'll show you the script. <laughs> so, this is a an arch thing to say, and it's not meant, but just I went into this as a grown-up, having not watched this film for easily 20, 30 years? How old am I? Yeah, maybe 30 years. Mm. Um, and I wanted it to make me laugh as much as I used, to, as much as I thought it would, because I remember thinking it was brilliant when I was little. And that's not to be smirching now, because I've got that that rose tinted view of it. But it didn't make me laugh; it just didn't. And unless you think the word "ass" is funny, which I do, mm. but You're it, breaking my heart. <laughs> yeah, that is funny. It's not funny enough, and you can see where Eddie Murphy just uh, to me it just looks like he doesn't give a fuck. He is mm. not even trying. And like what you said, Chris, like they did it once and went, "Oh fuck it, that'll do." Yeah. And they were right because people went to see it and it made a fortune. But it just I just felt really let down. I mean, yeah, I agree. Yeah. Chunky asses is. It's not that funny. It's not that funny. But pie isn't funny either. No. No, I like pie, but. But pie. Yeah, great. Well, is that that done? That is that done. <laughs> That's that done. That's yeah. that done. All right, then. Ass wipe. Um, right, we have done The Golden Child. So we did Big, big Trouble in Little China on Monday. The Golden Child has just been finished. It's time to do the verdict. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth! So which movie is going to win this week? Chris, these were your choices. No, they weren't. They were my choices. <laughs> I almost forgot then. These were my choices. Uh, so I, I will guide us through this section and give you my verdict last. Um, who would like to go first? Anyone chewing at the bit, chomping at the bit to get their uh, verdict out there? No. <laughs> I'm going to go with Victoria. Uh, so I, when you announced these films the other week, I was like, it doesn't even matter what happens. I'm going to pick the golden child because I love it so much. And then when I watched Big Trouble in Little China last night, I was like, it's a, it's a crying shame. It's a crime that this film is not, didn't do as well as it should have done. I really, really enjoyed it. And it really surprised me. And so Big Trouble in Little China is my choice because it's just better. 
Just is. There you have it. That's one for Big Trouble in Little China. Christopher? Yeah, Golden Child. The trouble is that the tone, with the blood porridge and the butt pie, that, mm. the tone is not quite right. And the, the Big Trouble, the tone is exactly right, I think. But that maybe is why it wasn't a success, because it was a, it, people hadn't seen that before. Um, but I li- also like the way Golden Child follows conventions, whereas Big Trouble defies them at every turn. It does that, which is more entertaining to watch. And I was, you know, thinking about this exploitation that was that was levelled at these films. I think Golden Child does take that Eastern mysticism a bit without trying to understand it. Whereas Carpenter does endeavour to stay true to Chinese cinema with the the style of fighting he uses, the wire work, the language, of the action, all that kind of stuff. And it dabbles in Fu Manchu um, stereotype, which is problematic. But I think it did more good than harm because. Um, as I said on the last episode, those Chinese characters are good and smart and skilled and heroic. And Jack Burton is the idiot American. But it, it set me on a course and lots of people I know to watch Jackie Chan movies and Shaw Brothers movies. And it got all these actors a lot of work in the future, which I don't think they would have leading up to this point, playing heroes in Western movies. So I'm going to use that quote uh, that I said from John Carpenter on the last episode. He said, Golden Child has a pre-sold ingredient, Eddie Murphy. Big Trouble doesn't, so I had to make a better movie. I think he did. Well, two votes for Big Trouble in Little China. Uh, just for the record, I will now give my vote. Uh, I think both of these films are actually flawed. I'm certainly not one of these people that views Big Trouble in Little China as this cult phenomenon that is brilliant. I, um, I think another connection that we could have done with these films is two films that are entirely bereft of jeopardy in any way, <laughs> shape or form. The Golden Child is Eddie Murphy doing that very 80s comedy thing of delivering deadpan underreactions to bizarre, threatening situations. So there's no threat in The Golden Child. There's at no point that you're like, oh my God, what's going to happen? Mm. A big trouble in Little China, Kurt Russell is so confused as to what's going on the whole time and doing pratfalls. I think that reduces the threat of that movie. Uh, and so you end up watching these movies for the comedy, which I think neither of them are as funny as they should be. Um, but overall, I'm basing this week's verdict on uh, the film that I think is overflowing with ideas and genuinely feels like more care and attention and desire to make a good movie as opposed to just a money-making star vehicle that uh, even manages to overcome Kurt Russell's knee-high moccasins. Uh, so Big Trouble in Little China! It's a full house! Woo. Full house, congratulations to Big Trouble in Little China. Then it's bested the golden child on Clash of the Titles, if not at the box office. Oh, what a journey. Time to look ahead. What are we doing next week? Chris, these are your choices. Remind us of the clue you gave us. Just when I think I'm out, they pull me back in. Not the Godfather. Drag me to hell. (laughs) Oh, I love drag me to hell. (laughs) Should we do that instead? Should we do that instead? Oh, can we? Uh... No, we had, because I put all the genres up that we'd covered on Twitter and we had people actually complaining that we hadn't done gangster movies don't say complaining so, don't no, say complaining it was a complaint no it no, was a complaint just say highlighting well no it was a complaint i mean did you read it it was like no. <laughs> it, it, it pretty much said why are you doing these shit films when you haven't done gangster movies do gangster movies <laughs> it, it sounds like a complaint uh but it's absolutely right we should do gangster movies it's been a it's been a year so <clears> we're doing gangster movies alex i'm taking you back to 1980 you are doing the long good friday oh and vicky you're getting 2004 Layer cake. Okay. Cool. Great. Gangster me up. 
I haven't watched a gangster movie in ages because I've only watched films for this podcast. Is that something that they say in gangster movies? Gangster meal. Yeah. <laughs> I thought it might be. I was just rolling the dice on that one. <laughs> All right, then. So, The Long Good Friday and The Cake of Layers. Those are next week's movies. Do your homework. We will be back on Monday to talk through The Long Good Friday. Layer Cake will be Thursday. In the meantime, uh, I'm going to ask you a favour. Please rate and review us where you can and subscribe to us where possible on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. Congratulations to Big Trouble in Little China. See you on Monday. This was a Stakhanov production.